I appreciate our sound guys and their con contributions to the service. Thanks, Aaron, for that. Uh, that was really good. He's a man of many, many talents. Uh, it's good to see you this morning. I'm glad that you have uh, come out to worship with us. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Jonah chapter 4. Our youth, uh, we want to remember them this week. Uh, they have left, as you can see here. Some of you could have filled in their spots. They're the ones that like to get spit on, I guess, so they... They stand close by, so they want to be here. They don't want to miss anything. That's what it is. They're hungry, and they want to sit close. Uh, but they're, uh, they're at camp down in Georgia this week, and so we want to be uh, in prayer for them. I know that they uh, made it uh, yesterday evening, and uh, we're putting up pictures. Um, Fred is very creative with camp, if you've not figured that out. you know, uh, Camp is, is a pretty expensive venture, um, and by... Our church and uh, Fred uh, putting on uh, their own camp, they're able to rent out a pretty nice place. I don't know if you saw the pictures on Facebook, but, I mean, you know, they found some mansion in Georgia to rent out. And, uh, and is still able to do all of that much cheaper than we could send our kids to camp, uh, which has gotten very expensive. And so appreciative for his uh, abilities in doing that and... Uh, uh, his, his hard work in putting that together. And they're going to be looking this week at discipleship. Um, it's a pretty, uh, pretty vital issue for them as teenagers and for, uh, for you and I as adults. And uh, they're going to be spending the week uh, kind of thinking about that. So uh, remember them. I also ask that you uh, remember uh, Miss Lois Clark. She fell uh, this week and uh, broke her ankle and her leg and uh, she uh, is at Catawba Hospital, is in exceedingly good spirits. I think Marvin saw her yesterday, and I visited with her on Friday night. And uh, she is, uh, you know, she's always, it seems to be, she, she takes things very well. And so just remember her. She's going to have a few more days probably there at the hospital and then some rehabilitation, getting uh, use of that foot back. But I know she would appreciate very much your prayers. As we think about Jonah chapter 4, as we kind of wrap up um, this book, and we'll be starting uh, the book of 1 Peter uh, next week, and so I invite you to, to read there as you're getting ready for service next Sunday. But I want us to think this morning about the fact that we live in a world and we live in a time where people have a problem with God. And I think it's pretty self-evident. I don't think you needed me to tell you that this morning. If you turn on the television, you'll see that there is uh, just this antipathy toward God that goes on quite often. If we look at recent uh, court cases, we see that there are those who would uh, sue to have, say, the Ten Commandments taken, at, taken off of the... Um, the public square and things like that. Um, that they, there would be those who would be against uh, prayer in um, at uh, commissioners' meetings and, and things of that nature. And regardless of your opinion on that, uh, because I think some people have opinions on those that that they maybe have with with a good conscience, and they're, they're just trying to defend what they believe. And I don't want to knock what anybody believes, but at the same time we realize that that doesn't come out of 
a desire for the most part for there to be you know equal representation among all religions or anything like that it it comes because people don't like god if you go out on the internet and you pull up some of these debates and discussions that christians have with those who are atheists or agnostics you'll find that people they, they will pick out different things about God and who he is and who the scriptures talk about him being. And they will, they will single those things out and they'll have a problem with it. And we understand that a person who is at odds with what God has said is going to have a problem with God. Someone who wants to live their life in whatever manner that they choose, they want to do so without any types of restraints put on them by someone who is above them, are always going to have a problem with God. If there's some sin in the life of someone who is lost and they want to hold tightly to it and they want it to consume them and direct their life and they love being a part of that sin, a God who tells them that that is wrong is always going to be a God they're going to have a problem with. That's kind of easy. I mean, we kind of understand that. Because that's the way we live, right? People out there in the world who want us to do things we don't want to do, typically we, they're not our best friends. They're not the people we like the most. We want people who encourage us to do the things we want to do, which is not always what we need, but that's what we often want. But that's not who I want to talk about this morning. I don't want to talk about the person who is far from God, who does not know God, who has a problem with God and his character. I want to talk about those who claim to know God and follow God and still have a problem with God. So if you have Jonah chapter 4, if you'll stand with me as we begin reading this morning, we'll stand in reverence to God's word. Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, and he sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what should become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, Is it better for me to live? It is better for me to live, I mean, to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, 
which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? You may be seated. Pray with me real quick. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you give us your word, that it instructs us and guides us. God, we thank you that you speak to us. And God, I pray this morning that we would listen. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As if Jonah has not been a big enough disappointment in chapters 1, 2, and 3. At least in chapter 3, he, he does get right what he was called to do in the first place. He does go to Nineveh. He goes to this great city and he, he preaches. And if you were with us last week, we looked at the power that God's word had as Jonah shared it in Nineveh even though he only shared just a few words. But we come back to chapter 4, and and I come back to the point of being extremely disappointed in Jonah. And I, I think, and I've shared this all along, I think part of my disappointment in Jonah is the fact that I see myself in the things that he did. We have here the man of God, the prophet of God, who has been called by God to go and to do this great task, to share with Nineveh this message. And he does so, and God pours out unwarranted mercy on Nineveh. I mean, they had done nothing to deserve what God Gives them. Now we, we know and we see that they repent. We, we see that, that they humble themselves, that they fast, that they put on the sackcloth and the ashes and, and they, they lower themselves before God and their hope is that God would relent. But, but in the end, they had done nothing to deserve God giving them mercy and yet He does. He gives them great mercy that they do not deserve in the least. And so you would think if you, if you had each chapter of Jonah separated and you got to the end of chapter 3 and, and you couldn't look ahead yet to see what it was and you had to, to take a few moments to reflect on what God did at the end of chapter 3 in showing mercy to the people of Nineveh, when you got to chapter 4, you probably, if you had to sketch it out before you got there, you would not have come up with this. But, verse 1, Jonah is displeased. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah has just witnessed God forgive a people who were about to be destroyed at the preaching of his word, nine simple words that he says there in chapter 3. And now he is disappointed. He is hurt. 
He is displeased and angry that God would show mercy to the people of Nineveh. How sad is that? Here is a person who is supposed to be the man of God who has been deemed worthy to receive the word of God and to preach this message. And he is disappointed. He has a problem with God and with his character. We see in verse 1, the first thing here, that he is displeased with God's actions. The ultimate question Jonah has here is, God, why didn't you do what I wanted you to do? Why, why didn't you listen to me? Because, see, when Jonah gets this word initially all the way back in chapter 1, his hope is that, okay, if I go to Nineveh, God has promised he's going to destroy them in 40 days, and, and I'm going to get to be a part of that. He thinks that as he gets out of the fish, he's going to go, but he... He reveals to us in a few verses what's in the back of his mind that God's going to relent. God's going to show mercy. He says, that's why I went to Tarshish. I wanted to get away. Here's 40 days and they're going to be destroyed. So if I can get away for 40 days, our enemies are going to be wiped out. He is very displeased with God's actions. He wants to know here why God doesn't please him. We see that God does what pleases himself in verse 10 of chapter 3. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God pleases himself. God says, okay, you know what? This is my pleasure. I was going to destroy them, but they have repented so my pleasure is to allow them to live. But Jonah's mad. Because Jonah didn't get his way. And because he didn't get his way, he is angry at the actions of God. Sounds like a lot of us, often. I mean, we, we serve a God who has created everything that is. He spoke and the universe came into existence. And yet we think that somehow his responsibility in life is to make us happy. That God's role, his singular role, it wasn't enough to create us, it wasn't enough to give us life, now he's got to make us happy. And any action that God takes that does not make us happy, we get angry with. And we see this in the world, it's amazing how many people that don't believe in God get mad at God. Now, you work that one out in your mind, but it doesn't exactly work out correctly. The same people who say, well, there is no, there is no God. If there is, he, he doesn't care about us. They, they get mad at him when we have a natural disaster. They get mad at him when we have a terrorist attack. They get mad at him when a member of their family gets sick. They get mad at this God that they don't believe in. But we're not worried about them this morning. Again, we're talking about us. How often do we get angry with God because we don't like the actions that he takes? We don't like it. Now listen, there are a lot of things that God does in the way he works in this world that I don't understand. 
that I have questions about, and I'm glad they'll be answered one day. But it doesn't say here that Jonah is, is confused by what God did. As a matter of fact, he's going to reveal to us in the verses to come, he's not confused at all. He knows exactly what is happening. We're not talking about being confused because the world around us is not working the way we think it should. I'm talking about being, about being angry with God because he's doing things that we don't like. Jonah is angry that God would save these sinners. And I'm afraid that too often we get angry at God because He doesn't do the things that make us happy. He does what He pleases. He accomplishes His will and His purpose and He does whatever actions He sees fit. And I think we often get angry because our hands are so tied in this whole thing. What can we do to prevent that? If an earthquake happens right now and it swallows us all up, nothing we could have done, right? You could have stayed at home this morning, and as you're falling to your doom through the earthquake, you may be thinking, I wish I'd have laid out. It was raining. I had an excuse. But what can you do about it? I mean, these tornadoes come through, and we see it every single year, it seems like. And some little town that we've never heard of gets put on the map because it gets wiped off the map. I mean, just a whole town gone. I mean, it's, it's an amazing, I've never seen it in person, but I, I've seen it on television time and time again. There's just a town gone. Could God have stopped that? Sure. Why did God not stop that? I don't know. But why would we get angry about that? We see destruction and we see that, but, but who are we to get angry? If, you've ever, if you ever start to deal with this and start to get angry about these things, and I, I think it's common, I don't think it's unnatural, I, I don't think there's something wrong with you, I, I think it's what happens because we live in a world that is overseen by a God who, who is so much greater than we are. But, but go read the book of Job and, and, and sit there and, and go with Job through the same experience of dealing with this anger of not understanding what God is doing. But it's a serious problem for Jonah because he is displeased with God's actions. Look what else he's displeased with. Look in verse 2. He is displeased, and this is extremely strange. I mean, just the, the whole wording of this is, I think, very odd for, for where we live right now in 2014. But it says in verse 2, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, and here's the things about the character of God, that I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And I'm mad about that. Now, if you think about the contemporary context in which we live, it's the entire flip side of that. People don't get angry with that anymore. 
They don't get angry so much with the fact that God is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So what is Jonah thinking God should be doing? If he's mad about this part of God's character, then what part of God's character is he happy about? Well, I mean, Jonah is obviously the doom and gloom prophet, right? He obviously wanted God to pour out his wrath on these people. He wanted to see Sodom and Gomorrah times infinity. I mean, he wanted to see them wiped off the face of the map. They were going to pay for their sins. They were going to be punished for their sins. And he can't stand it that God is gracious and loving and kind. He's mad about it. He's mad that God would allow these people to live after what they had done. He wanted them to be destroyed, and God did not live up to his expectations. Well, the day in which we live is the complete opposite, right? People can deal with a God who is loving and gracious and kind. But a God who gets angry, a God who judges sin, a God who is unhappy with those who rebel against him, Now, we don't want to hear anything about that. As a matter of fact, that's why we live in a culture that has decided that there is a dividing line in the Bible. And the Bible in the Old Testament talks about this old God who is irrelevant now, who was mean and angry. And they come to the New Testament and they read about this guy named Jesus. And they don't really believe he was God, but he was a pretty nice guy. And he did some nice things and we like him. But the fact of the matter is that the Bible from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation Revelation chapter 21 talks about the same God. The same God. And it tells one large overarching story about this God and his dealings with humanity. From the time that he creates the world until the end of the Bible when he creates the world anew once again and permanently. And so we can't separate these two. We can't say that we want this characteristic of God and we really like it and it's it's something nice and he's he's friendly, he's my buddy, he's my pal, he's my friend, whatever it is. We like this characteristic, but we want to throw out all these other characteristics that we don't like of God. See, it used to be, okay, only God, this was the phrase, right? The Bible doesn't say this, by the way. Don't get, don't get confused. But the phrase used to be, well, only God can judge me, right? Like you would tell somebody, hey, man, you know, your life's a mess. You need to, <laughs> you're going down a road you don't want to go down. No, only God can judge me. That sounds, it's supposed to sound super spiritual, but it's really dumb. Um, you don't want to embrace that. It's terrible. It's not what the Bible says at all. But now it's to the point, nobody can judge me. Because I don't believe there's a God anyway, so nobody can judge me. And if we, as believers in Christ, embrace a God who tells us that one day we will stand before him and give an account of what we have done with our life, uh, that's, God's too judgmental. We don't want anything to do with that God. Friends, let me tell you that it doesn't matter 
at all whether or not you think God is going to judge you or not. He doesn't care what you think. Because one day you're going to stand before him and give an account. It's not going to be before me. It's not going to be before the other people in this church. One day, each one of us is going to stand before God and give an account of what we've done. And we can decide one way or the other. We're, we're either going to decide that we're going to live in rebellion against God our entire lives or we're going to embrace that part of his character. Now, we don't embrace that part of his character to say, well, God doesn't love people. We don't look at people in the world and look at their sin and say, well, for some reason God doesn't love them. And I like to go to extremes, so let's, let's go as far as we can go. This is, this is probably my best example. For a long time of my life, the most hated person in this country was a man who was holed up in a cave in a house in Afghanistan and Pakistan. And he had orchestrated that planes would fly into buildings and kill over 3,000 Americans. To my knowledge, in my lifetime, one of the most evil human beings on earth. There have been worse, but he was pretty bad. But he was still a person who God loved. And there's no evidence that at any point in his life, he turned from his sin and his false God and turned to the God who had created the world. So I believe wholeheartedly that when the Navy SEALs stormed that complex and they shot him, that he died and immediately went to hell. No question. And most people, and I, listen, I remember that night. I was very disappointed in Americans that night because I remember when it came on television that night, three or four years ago, whenever it was, and there were people out in the street celebrating because this guy had died and went to hell. And I had a problem with that. Listen, I was glad that his, his reign of terror had stopped, that he could no longer orchestrate terrorism in our country, but the guy died and went to hell. And it reminded me, on September 11th, 2001, when I was a senior in high school, going home that evening, everything had happened that morning, things that just, the world was turned upside down. And going home that evening and watching television, and they showed video from Palestinians, and I don't remember if it was in the West Bank or Gaza, wherever it was, celebrating, because... The Twin Towers had failed, and the Pentagon had been damaged, and all those people in Pennsylvania on that plane had died. And they were celebrating. I mean, in the streets, just joyous. And then the day that bin Laden was killed, there were Americans on the corner doing the exact same thing. We need to realize as Christians that our God has created everyone that is And regardless of their sin, he loves them, and his desire is not for them to perish, but for them to repent, for them to turn to him, for them to give their lives over to him, to abandon their false gods, to abandon their sin, and trust in Christ. Jonah is preaching to the terrorists of his day, to a nation that wants to destroy his. And God is greatly displeased 
because Jonah is angry that they repented. And his problem is that he has got this attitude that the good news that God has given is just for them. And he doesn't want anybody else included. He doesn't want anybody else to be a part of that. And so he's angry. (laughs) He's angry that God is merciful. We need to watch that. There'll be times when we get angry that God shows mercy to someone. I think there's also times that we get angry that God would judge someone for their sin. He's going to judge us. He's going to hold us accountable. We need to be aware of that. And when we tell people about our God, we don't need to hide that part. Because you can't come to Christ. You can't follow after him and remain committed to your sin. Because the call of God is to turn from our sin and trust in him. He's displeased with God's actions. He's displeased with the Lord's character. Look here, thirdly, in verses 3 through 5, he has a problem with, he's displeased with God's plan. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? He wants to die. Now get this, God, kill me because you didn't kill them. I think about that one. Kill me because you didn't kill them. Now, I don't know if he's trying to give some ultimatum to God like, you know, God, I'm so great, and if you lose me, you're going to have a problem. Of course, God would remind him, I just tried to kill you several times by throwing you off a ship and into the belly of a fish. Not really that concerned. But, hey, Jonah still thinks highly of himself, I guess. So maybe this is a compromise with God. Maybe this is, is some type of negotiation with God. God... God, kill me because I don't want to live anymore because you didn't kill all these people. You're going to destroy them, and now you're not. And so, God, just let me die. Matter of fact, look here. Verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there and sat under it in the shade till he should see what should become of the city. He has a serious problem here with God's plan. God's plan for his life, God's plan for the people of Nineveh, God's plan in general. If God had wanted him to die, God could have taken care of that a long time ago. Just don't send the fish. Jonah drowns. Story over. He's eaten by the fish. We've had that discussion about how digestion works. You don't survive. He went into the most hostile city to the word of God in the world, and they didn't kill him. And that's what they like to do to people. That was kind of their thing. He has a problem with God's plan. But I love it. He, he, he sees that the city's not destroyed. He goes outside the city. He goes to the east of the city, which is not on his way home, by the way. It would have been back west to go back home. He goes to the east of the city. He sits down, and he builds him a little shelter, and he sits there waiting. Now, if you look at this chronologically, God's already told him that they're not going to be destroyed. He's already seen they're not going to be destroyed. Back in verse 1, he is, he's exceedingly displeased. He is angry with God. So what's he doing? 
Has he decided that maybe one day they'll, they'll fall out of favor with God and God's going to destroy them and he's going to wait? Has he, has he committed himself so much to see the destruction of Nineveh that he builds him a little shelter to sit there in the hot sun and wait for them to all die? He is that displeased with the plan of God for his life and for the people of Nineveh. And boy, this one should hit home with us. Because how many times do we clearly know the plan of God, but it displeases us so much that honestly we'd rather die than do it? I'll give you a great example that I've heard throughout my entire life in ministry at least, when you talk to people about God calling you, calling others to go to the nations of the world as a missionary, there's a lot of people would rather die than step foot on that plane. We'll be honest, we're laying on the cards on the table here or whatever. A lot of people, listen, I just got on a plane in April. Of course, I didn't stay very long, but I thought from Charlotte to New York I was going to die anyway. The way that plane was going up and down and up and down and down and down and maybe a little bit up again, it was like, okay, it's over. Here it is. But some of you in here would rather die than God send you somewhere like that. Some of you feel like you would die if God sent you across the street to invite your neighbor to church. Some of us might die if that actually happened. There's people I've known that were so committed to not ever telling anybody about Jesus, it would have killed me if they had done it. I'd have had a heart attack or a stroke, something right then. It would have been so shocking. Some of us build shelters so we can sit and watch the destruction that God has said is not coming. How many times have you done that? Somebody that's been out of church, they've been living like the world, and God saves them. And oh, most people rejoice, hey, they've come home. Hey, God saved them from their sin, but, but some people, they build a shelter and they just wait because it's going to crash and burn at some point, right? Because we don't trust that God would really do that to their heart. One day they're going to stumble and we're there. We're going to be the one there to point it out. Hey, look, see, I told you. See, once a drunk, always a drunk. Once an adulterer, always an adulterer. We look at that and we go, see? See, they're never going to get better. So that's what Jonah does, right? He builds his booth. He gets in the shade and he sits there and he's waiting for it to come. He's waiting to see. He's waiting to see what would happen. Till he should see what would become of the city. He still wants to see the destruction. And friends, that is our heart way, way too often. 
That we would rather sit back and watch everything crash and burn than to do something. Here's a man of God in a city that didn't know God until a few days ago. They had no idea who he was. They had lived in their sin. Wouldn't it have been better if he would have went back into the city and said, Hey, I'm going to start a Bible study because you guys need some discipleship. Hey, uh, you guys probably don't have a preacher because you're Nineveh. I'm going to come back in here and preach for you guys. By the way, there's a lot more than these nine words that I gave you, and maybe I'm going to instruct you on those because you need to hear it. But no, he goes out to the east side of the city, and he wants to watch it burn down. He wants to watch it be destroyed. We need to guard ourselves against that temptation. And listen, that means sometimes you're going to get burnt because sometimes the city's going to get burnt down in the end. But guess what? God doesn't, God is not pleased with Jonah as he sits in his little booth outside the city waiting for it to be destroyed. We often will have a problem with God's plan because it will send us where we don't want to go. It will cause us to do things we hadn't planned on doing. It will interrupt our lives. It will interrupt our comfort. And that doesn't please God at all. Because if we are true to God, if we will listen to Him, He has not called us to lives of comfort. He has not called us to lives of great worth or great fame. He has called us to lives of sacrificial love to other people. And I know that because when we look at the life of our Savior... You know, the guy that they talk about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When we look at Jesus, he had no place to lay his head. He died, stripped of everything of the world, in the most horrific fashion possible. And he tells us to come and follow him. Jonah has a great opportunity here, and he squanders it. So Jonah's displeased. But I want us to look at the remainder of the chapter of what God does to help Jonah see that he has a problem. I think that this is why Jonah is included in the Bible. I think it's why God has given it to us. Is because we can see Jonah's problem, but Jonah couldn't see his problem. And we often can't see our problems But this is what God does. Look in verses 6 through 8. God shows Jonah his mercy. Now, if you think about it, hasn't God already shown Jonah his mercy? We got the whole ship thing. We got the fish thing. We got the I've not destroyed you and wiped you off of the face of the earth thing. We also have the end of chapter 3. We have God showing his mercy to Nineveh. But none of that caught Jonah's attention. He still has this hardened heart in verse 1 that is angry with God. But look when we get to verse 6. This is what it takes for Jonah to begin seeing God's mercy. Verse 6. Now, the Lord appointed... I love that. If you look, that word is throughout this, this, uh, the book of Jonah. The Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah 
that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Well, of all the things that happened in the book of Jonah, this is the least impressive, right? The the Hebrew word here is a little bit tough. Some sometimes it can be translated gourd or weed or plant. Whatever it is, something grows to give Jonah some extra shade. Storm, fish, huge sinful city repented, but it's the plant that makes Jonah exceedingly glad. Now that shows the character of our Savior, that he knows what it is that will, will catch our attention. Because for some people it takes the world crashing down around them, it takes everything being destroyed, it takes their family being torn apart, their country being torn apart, whatever it is to catch their attention. For Jonah, it's a weed. A small plant that grows up to provide him comfort. And Jonah is exceedingly glad because of this, this plant. Now remember, he's already built himself a booth. So apparently this booth, and a booth, by the way, would, would be like this small shelter. The Old Testament talks about the Feast of Tabernacles or booths is the way it's supposed to be translated and, uh, or can be translated. And they would build these little shelters that, they would, that would provide you some... Uh, relief from the sun and things like that. And they had a whole feast dedicated to this. So he builds himself this booth. Well, apparently this booth is not completely adequate to keep him out of the sun. So the Lord sends this plant that comes up over him. And it provides him shade. This little thing helps him to see God's great mercy on him. But, but I would tell you that God's mercy is not primarily wrapped up in this plant. See, probably the greater example, we don't know what happens to Jonah after this book closes, but probably the greater example of mercy is that the next day, when the sun rose, or verse 7, when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And what does he do? This guy's got some serious issues. He asked again to die. He is the least tolerant person of any type of discomfort, maybe in the whole Bible. Because now he's ready to die because it's hot outside. And he wants to die. But God has shown him mercy. He showed him mercy in the storm. And he showed him mercy with the fish. And he showed him mercy by giving mercy to all those people. He showed him mercy by the plant. But I believe he shows him greater mercy by having that plant die. Because when that plant dies, it's eaten by the worm. And here comes the sun. And he wants to die. It allows the opportunity for God to point out to him the hardness of his heart. 
And friends, I want to tell you this morning that there is no greater mercy that our God can show us than pointing out to us the hardness of our hearts. Look what happens. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Is it okay? Is it reasonable for you to be angry about this plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. It's a bit over the top, don't you think? Verse 10, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? He just showed Jonah that he has a serious problem with his heart. A huge issue with his heart. Because here, he is is crying and whining and wants to die over a weed that he had nothing to do with. It wasn't as if he had toiled and labored to make that plant grow so that he would have something to eat. God had sent it. God had destroyed it. He had had no part in any of it. And so God said, do you pity that plant? So why can't I take pity on a city that is full of people who I created in my image and who, if they turn and they did turn, do not have to be destroyed? The Bible says here 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. We don't know in reading that if Nineveh had 120,000 people or that's an expression that could refer to just children. Nineveh could very well have been a city of over a million people, if not larger. And so God says, so you, you get to be okay with me killing you Because you're upset about a plant. But you're angry with me. Because I want to have pity on tens of hundreds of thousands of people who have been made in my image. He said, you've got a heart problem. See, I think that speaks well to us because when I look at not just us as, as a church or even the church. When I look at our culture, we've got some serious issues like this, some serious heart problem issues that, that I think this verse gets at the heart at. I mean, think about it like this. We live in a culture where if you turn on television, you'll see these very moving commercials of these abused animals. And they want, you to, you know, they want you to send some money to help with these abused animals. And it, man, it's, it's terrible to see what some people do to these animals. 
But you get, look, you get to looking at some of the same people who support the, the saving of these animals who, who have been tortured and abused are the same people who promote the death of unborn babies. That's a heart problem. That's a heart problem for our nation. That's not just a heart problem for the church. It's a hard problem for the church, though, when we can easily spend all kinds of money on ourselves and we don't care about people outside our church. That's, that's a heart problem if we do that. Man, I've been in some churches that they love to take care of the flock, but they don't care that there are billions with a B of people are starving to death, who have no clothing, who have no shelter, and most importantly, above all of that, have never heard the name of Christ. So that's a problem. And that's the problem that Jonah has right here is because he, he has no pity on a town full of people that were created in the image of the same God that he was that needed the hope of the same God that he had hope in. And he was ready to build this shelter so that he would have comfort to watch them die. But he's upset that a weed died in the same day that it was made. We have to guard our heart against that. Because it is very easy for us to get some blind spots in our vision and in our life as we're moving forward. Where we just, well, some things you just can't do anything about. Where we, 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 we get upset about things that go on in our life, things that are highly irrelevant, things that really do not matter. We, we get upset if the stock market drops a point or if our retirement's not doing as well as we would like or we're not making as much money as we would like. We get upset about that, but we, we are numb to the spiritual condition around us, that we can celebrate our own faith in Christ, that we're excited about what God has done for us, but we aren't broken about the fact that God is not doing that for someone else because they don't know him. He's never going to do those things. He's never going to move in their life. He's never going to change their hearts until they hear about him. And guess what? He put that responsibility on us. See, that's, the, that's, that's maybe the saddest thing about this whole book as, as a pastor reading it is that here is a man who had this great opportunity this great opportunity to go and stand before a people who did not know God and share with them what he was going to do. To share with them God's plan, even though it was not pleasant. He has the opportunity to do that, and he passes it up to run for another city. He passes it up to build himself a booth and sit there and wait on the destruction. Friends, we don't want to pass up that opportunity. So I want to encourage you this morning... What this text shows us is that if we've got a problem with God, a problem with what he is doing, the problem lies in our heart. It doesn't lie in the character of God because the character of God has been perfect always. 
It doesn't lie in the plan of God. It doesn't, the problem is not there because God's plan has always been perfect. And if God's plan wasn't perfect, you and I would have a serious problem. It doesn't lie in the actions of God or his character. The problem can only lie in our heart. And so I want to encourage you the next time. The next time this happens, where God does something that just doesn't sit well with you. Keep that in mind. Dig into that. Find out what's going on because the problem is not with him. It's here. And God wants to take our hearts, he wants to take our mind and radically transform them into his image. He wants us to have his mind. He wants us to think like he does. He wants us to have his heart for people that are lost and hurting. He he desires that. And so when we have those problems, the issue is here. Our God is faithful and he is loving and kind and merciful and he will reach down and change our heart. But friends, Jonah is left here at the end of verse 11. He is left here with a decision. See, I don't know if this happens at the beginning of his ministry. If it happens somewhere in the middle, if it's that turnaround, or if it's marking the end. But God leaves him with this piercing question about the priorities of his heart. And he leaves us with that question as well. What will be the priority of our heart? Will we be directed by God? Or will we have a problem with what he's doing? Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the mercy and grace that you've given us. We, we thank you for, God, showing us your love even when we, God, are so unworthy. Lord, I'm thankful that you give us directions. You give us examples like Jonah that allow us to see that sometimes... Sometimes we have a heart problem. Sometimes we have an issue with our trust and our humility. God, your desire is that we would trust in you and follow you and God be faithful to you. Lord God, we're thankful this morning. That as we gather here together, you remind us in your word of your goodness and grace. And God, you show us your direction. And you call on us to follow. God, I pray that each person here would listen to your word. And that God, we would respond to your mercy and grace. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. As we get ready to sing, I would invite you to respond to what God has showed us in his word, that he, his mercy and grace is, are so big. 
His love is all-encompassing. And He calls on us to remove those areas in our life where we have the blind spot, where we get angry with God, where we don't trust in Him, where we when we don't see what's ahead, we just we don't have the faith to follow. I trust that God will speak to you in some of those areas in your life, and I just ask you to respond to him as we sing.